When I die, you'll go back to where this all began. Just remember to dodge the energy discharge from the warp core. Jake, you could still have so many years left. No, we have to be together when I die. Jake, you didn't have to do this. Not for me. For you and for the boy that I was. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton looking up Star Trek guest actor Brian Thompson's age on Wikipedia. <laughs> He's telling the truth, folks. I was sitting in for it, and it was amazing, but we're going to let you look up that number, because I know you're all secretly wondering right now how old Brian Thompson is. Yes. Well, Cam, uh, what is today's conundrum? We are going to rank the greatest Star Trek episodes. Not just the greatest, Cam, but the greatest of the great. And we've kind of locked ourselves into some parameters here. Because, uh, look, for us to kind of like decide once and for all, definitively, based on our own opinions, what the greatest episodes are from all across the spectrum, all across the franchise of Star Trek... Uh, that would be kind of nightmarish, you know. Uh, what we've done instead is gone to the Internet Movie Database. I guess I could have looked up Brian Thompson's age on that handy app as well. And Wait, how did you do it? <laughs> I, I went on Wikipedia, you know. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, fair, yeah. Um, and uh, we compiled every single episode that is rated an 8.8 and above. We did that because originally we uh, were going 8.5 and above, and I think we ended up with 82 episodes, um, and that would have just been too unwieldy for us to kind of rank and draft and all that, as we often like to do. So now I think we, we've called it down to, what, about 44? Is that correct, sir? I think I got 43. 43? Okay. So look, we are going to go through our lists. Uh, we are going to select which ones are kind of, uh, you know, from uh, worst to first. And these are the greatest of the great. And uh, we'll also maybe at the end call out some of these omissions from IMDB users. One of the things that I noticed going through this list, though, Cam, is I, I find that this list kind of leaned more towards action-heavy episodes. There are some exceptions at times, but you kind of get a sense of the, those IMDb viewers or, or users are, are more inclined towards episodes in which a lot of stuff happens versus some of the more introspective episodes. But there are some introspective episodes on our list that we will go through for sure. I, I just I want to prepare everybody. There might be some omissions, but don't worry. We, we totally acknowledge that, and we'll have some fun diving into them at the end. Yeah, it feels like um, they aren't as drawn to like the deep dive character episodes. And there are some here. It's not like it's completely um, devoid of character centric episodes, but it, you're, you're right. Like it, anything that could be described as epic winds up on this list. Yeah. Um, sorry, interface in which we met Jordy's <laughs> mom did not make this list. 
Nor did the muse, where Jake Sisko is inspired to write by a seductive older woman. Uh, that's just uh, just a criminal like omission right there. I, have I know to say. the greatest okay. of character episodes. Uh, Cam, uh, who would you uh, would you like to start? I can start with whatever you, you feel like. Um, you know what? I'll start because I, I think you started the last time we did a ranking, so I'll do this one. Okay, um, you better pick the one that I think you should pick. Um, uh huh. But uh, I'll, I'll let you you kick it off, and I can argue uh, with you. Oh, and another thing, you and I we usually kind of have like one veto by the end. Do we want to do that? Where look, uh, if we disagree with one of the other's rankings, or if we just don't like where an episode placed, you and I each get one kind of veto where we can switch places with any of our rankings. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, let's okay. do that. Cool. The usual way. It makes it a little more of a game, so I think that works. Okay, so in last place, and again. This is a ranking of the great Star Trek episodes, so we're not here to kick around these episodes, people. Exactly, exactly. Take it easy on us. In last place, I have Best of Both Worlds Part 2. Is that the one you were hoping for? No, but... Okay. Um, I Look, Best of Both Worlds Part 2, to me, is far overrated, and not for the reasons people generally think. I, I think in people's minds... They're always thinking of Best of Both Worlds Part 1, which if it, that is a fantastic episode. Best of Both Worlds 2, it's it's not all that interesting. It's mostly story-driven, and they're just trying to write themselves out of a very difficult situation after getting Picard kind of assimilated there. And like I think the writers struggled with that one, but that one, that little point often goes ignored. Yeah, like this episode, as you said, it's all about problem-solving. How do we get Picard out of this Borg outfit by the end of the episode? And you look at the first one, and believe me, um, I do not have Best of Both Worlds Part 1 at my number 42 spot, my own personal one. Um, but that episode is really dynamic. Set up, you get the Riker fire. And then in Part 2, you kind of don't get the big iconic moments. You get a lot of Crusher working on Picard. You get kind of some mournful Picard moments at the end. But like, honestly, the episode Family, had that been Part 2... I would rank that way higher. Like to me, that is a much more powerful kind of, you know, finale to the best of both worlds story. Yeah. And that episode, by the way, is ranked 9.3 by IMDB users. I'm going to go next to an episode ranked an 8.9. And that is from Star Trek Lower Decks and No Small Parts, the season finale featuring a very notable character from years past. And honestly, I, I think this is just like a, a thrilling conclusion to what turned out to be a very, very strong uh, season for a series to kick things off. Um, I really like this one. This was fun. It had emotional stakes uh, w with everything building up about uh, Mariner's mother uh, on the ship. And uh, I, I dig this one, um, but I still place at 42 on our list. I have it in the exact same spot. Um, it's a really fantastic episode of Lower Decks, but I also feel like we're in season one of Lower Decks, and I think they can exceed this episode. Like, I'm curious when we get to the end of that show, if this is, you know, the highest ranking episode of the series. I doubt it. It just feels like the high point so far. So it's a really fun one, but it also feels more slight than maybe some of the other higher ranking ones. Was that your highest episode um, for that season? Or are there other episodes uh, that you like more? I remember you liked Veritas, for example, but uh, were there like Crisis Point, the one on the holodeck? Was that uh, maybe more to your liking? No, I believe I had no small parts at number one, I think. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's to the, to the best of my memory. I remember the kind of the, tr the trio were um, 
No small parts, Cupid's errant arrow, and um, oh, it starts with a V. Can you throw it out there? Veritas. Veritas, thank you. Those are the three that I rank the highest, and I think that I put no small parts at number one, but uh, okay. I'd have to go back okay. and check the records on that one. Well, what's next on your list, sir? So at number 41, this one may shock people, may shock you, Tyler, that I'm saying this. I have Space Seed here, and the introduction to Khan. This is not like one of my all-time favorite TOS episodes. I was actually kind of shocked that when you see the, I don't know, there was like six or seven TOS episodes on the all-time highest ranks on IMDb. This was the one that I'm like, well, that's not one of my favorites. Like, there's a lot of other ones I would have slotted in over this one. It's a great introduction to a character, really strong story, but it's not it's not an A++ episode to me. Yeah, I honestly, I, I have this ranked a little bit lower, at least on my list of TOS episodes. That's how I've divided everything up is based on series. Um yeah, it's a good episode, but it's it's not the best of TOS by my you know judgment. Um, it's, it just doesn't have that fun factor that I think a lot of my favorite episodes from the original series possess. Do you think this episode would be ranked this highly if it weren't for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Alrighty, uh, this one is ranked. Uh, <laughs> Uh, seemingly above uh, Space Seed, uh, but at number 40, I have Deep Space Nine's Tacking Into the Wind. This is kind of wrapping up, uh, I think this was uh, the third to last episode, or maybe the fourth to last episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, and uh, recall that uh, we saw Worf kill the uh, Chancellor, and he briefly became Chancellor before giving that honor over to Martok. Um it's kind of wrapping up Worf's arc to a certain degree. It's just, to me, it's not an all-time episode, but what happens here is quite a lot of uh, action put in place. You know, like, we're seeing, like, the differences come about within how, you know, politics work in the Alpha Quadrant. I think that's kind of why IMDb users rank something like this a little bit higher than I would have ever ranked it. This was a tough one. I had had it ranked higher, um, but for me it kind of falls into that final arc where sometimes it's a little bit tough to separate it from the group. Um, But it does have a lot of very momentous things happening in it. It's a pretty strong episode, but uh, yeah, I think that's probably a decent place. I I don't think I'm offended by this one landing in kind of the bottom half of the rankings. I'm glad I didn't offend you. That uh, that, that, that would have killed me. That's all that's important. So number 39 I think I'm going to slot in another DS9, and I'm curious how you feel, but I have the Dias cast here. That was actually my, uh, I think, lowest-ranked DS9 episode. And again, people, we're talking about the greats here. But I, I felt like this one, this is the Garrick episode um, that introduces um, the Obsidian Order into the series, I believe. And um, it's, a, again, a strong episode, but I don't have that kind of... I don't know, that really strong emotional takeaway from this episode that I do have a lot of the other DS9 two-parters. And the fact that we're only including one part of it also somewhat affected my ranking as well. It's a little weird, but I still have to give props for Rene Bergeron's performance as he's being tortured by Garrick throughout this one. But um, mm-hmm. or, or was that the second part of this? I, I think that's I think the Dias cast is uh, in, in which the interrogation scene unfolds, right? <sighs> I think ooh, by Inferno's Light is the second part. I think we probably are setting that up through part one, and it might continue into part two. Wasn't uh, by Inferno's Light the next season, the two-parter the next season? Oh, sorry. Sorry, that's my bad. My bad. I'm mixing... Yes, you are correct. I'm mixing it up. I'm forgetting the name of the um, the second part of oh. um, 
uh, the Dias cast. Well, improbable I cause. It, I, I thought it was improbable cause was first, and then Dias cast was second, if, if I recall correctly. You are correct. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. So. so it's the interrogation stuff that I thought was pretty awesome here. Yeah. I like interrogation people. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> All righty. Um, next for me, we're uh, down to 38. Um, I Look, I, this is kind of weird because IMDB users don't necessarily rank everything within our own parameters of 8.8 .8 and above, but we're going to go to Voyager, and this will be Year of Hell Part 1. Um, this is like actually, uh, when we did our rewatch, uh, not too long ago, actually probably like three or four years ago now, but, um, <laughs> I, 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 it actually was much played much stronger to me going in because we watched the first two parts back to back. Um, it actually has like a really solid kind of cliffhanger and watch Janeway dis decides to disperse the crew, uh, to help save everybody. Um, it's just, it's a little weird having this one disconnected, uh, from the second part. And, and then I don't know if it tells like a full story, but like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in this one. Anorax played by one Kurt Wood Smith. He, he's one of the more memorable antagonists from, uh, Voyager. And, and look, the, the guy has layers. He's not just kind of a mustache twirling sort of dude. So I, I, I like Year of Hell. I just would rank it probably last among my Voyager greats. Yeah. Like Year of Hell as a whole, I would have higher on this list but just ranking part one uh like i feel like you need the kind of the the denouement to really get that full fist pumping like this is a great you know story of voyager whereas when i'm ranking just part one it's like okay well yeah it's a really strong setup but is it an all-time great episode i'd want to revisit not really so yeah it's kind of a weird thing just due to the imdb uh scoring system that this one is the only one included for us but yeah, that's I have it in the exact same spot. Yeah, just for the record, people, if, in case you're curious, uh, Year of Hell Part One was an eight point eight, while Year of Hell Part Two was eight point seven. So it just barely missed. Yeah. So I think next on my list, I actually had another Voyager here. Uh, I had Message in a Bottle, the Doctor story, which again, really fun episode. We get to see a great Doctor story. Andy Dick pops into this one. So much fun, but. It, in terms of when I was looking at larger lists, I found that there was some that no matter how good they were, if they felt a little inconsequential to the larger pictures of their shows, they tended to rank a little bit lower. So that was kind of the case here. It's a fun one, but I know what you're saying. Like, what is kind of the emotional journey of this? It's the Doctor having fun in the Alpha Quadrant while Andy Dick pops up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm totally down with a, a ranking like that. Uh, for me, number 36, uh, this one got uh, a 9.0 rating Ooh. from IMDb users, and that would be uh, one Q Who from the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, this is the introduction of the Borg, of course. Cam, um, do you think, if not for the fact that the Borg were introduced, like, would this be deserving of a 9.0 sort of rating? Yeah, you know, I struggled a lot with this one because I agree with you. Um, some of these early great TNG episodes, and there's we're going to talk about two of them over the course of this episode, this being one of them. They're great stories, but they have that early TNG feel to them. You know what I mean? And we're about to go great places with the show, but q Who has a little bit of that still. It, you still feel a little bit of that working out the kinks the series had going on. It's the one thing, though, that I had it ranked a little bit higher, not that much, really. Um, it's one of the most effective uses of the Borg in the entire franchise. 
I remember just seeing this episode and being blown away at just how scary it made the Borg feel. And I don't know if I ever quite felt as strongly on TNG about how scary the Borg were as I did in this episode, really discovering them for the first time. They were ominous and they were unstoppable. We had yet to see their weak points at that point. And look, the addition of uh, John Delancey as Q in this episode, that just kind of, uh, it made it like a a strong one for sure. But I I still have to feel compelled to rank it uh, where I did at 36. It's one of the first great TNG mythology episodes. One that, you know, when you go back and watch it, it has a lot of value. And there's not a lot of those in the first two seasons, for sure. Well, I think you get your biggest bang for your buck when you go to Shades of Grey and you get little clips uh, from all the preceding two seasons. <laughs> yeah, all the mythology you could ever, you know, ever <laughs> desire is in Shades of Grey. So uh, uh. <laughs> they should have never even aired the uh, All Good Things. Just air Shades of Grey again and people would experience the journey and be like, I'm satisfied. That was TNG. <laughs> y- you want the Seinfeld finale where it's like a clip show? <laughs> Set to Green Day? Well, that was that was the um, that wasn't the finale proper though. That was yeah. uh, re- re- what was it like? They're just doing like interviews with the cast, you know, before the finale aired, right? Uh, wasn't it like a two part thing where they aired a clip show as well as the actual episode back to back? I, I they both definitely aired the same night. Uh, I I don't know if it was like uh, like a clip show before the finale or if it was just sort of kind of like talking heads about the. The legacy of Seinfeld, but I that one capped off with uh, Green Day's uh, "Time of Your Life" slash "Good Riddance," and then uh, we jumped into the finale right after that. Yeah, I also always remember that they used the Superman score from the John Williams score from the original Superman movie. So I guess they had decent uh, music licensing going on for that Seinfeld finale. Where were the great rock songs or pop songs in All Good Things? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the uh, Three uh, three Doors Down kryptonite had not been in, in, uh, written yet, Cam. I know that's your favorite uh, your favorite oh. rock song. Seen it live. Seen it live, people. <laughs> uh, so next on my list, speaking about that sort of early series energy, this is another great character episode that I actually ranked a little lower because, it, again, it's a show working out its kinks, but this is its first real step into greatness, and that's Duet from DS9 the Kira story with the um, war criminal that she encounters. Is he a war criminal or is he not? That's the big question of the episode. Again, fantastic Kira dramatic showcase. Probably the best episode of season one, DS9, but it still has that working out the kinks kind of feel that I highlighted as well for Q-Who. Yeah, you know, I actually had this one uh, very close towards the bottom of my list of uh, Deep Space Nine. So look, look, it's a standout Kira showcase. And I, I wonder if this one gets a 9.1 rating because it is far and away the strongest episode of that first season. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to go back to Voyager, um, and uh, I'm going to go to Scorpion Part 2 for number 34 on our list. Um, I, I think sometimes Star Trek... Uh, season premieres if it's based on a cliffhanger they have a hard time sticking the landing but this is the introduction of seven of nine this is the uh kind of uh, they're setting up the farewell of kess uh they're dealing with eight four seven two and the borg meeting its match there's a lot going on in this one and i think it really does stick the landing when it came to what scorpion part one was setting up well yeah i agree and you know while we're here why don't i say the next in line i had scorpion one so we can kind of knock those off at the same time. What is it about Scorpion 1 that maybe, if you had to pick one scene that stands out to you, what would you highlight here? Easy. Uh, it's the scene where they go to like the Borg cube and there's like 
those like deformed Borgs that the species 8472 have like mutilated. And it's totally like alien HR Geiger kind of energy going on. That moment is so effective and has really stuck with me. It has some genuine horror energy going on in that episode. Um, next time we can go to a Star Trek uh, convention, Cam, let's make sure we do that as our cosplay. Just get piles and piles <laughs> of us uh, dressed like deformed Borg. <laughs> yeah, Scorpion is a great two-parter. Um, I think this is a good place for it. Um, but my God, like bringing the Borg back for their you know series, or sorry, I should say uh, season finale, it could have felt cheap. It could have felt like, well, here we go. Best of both worlds again. But they did something that felt original. It um, introduced new ideas, 8472. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's Garrett Wong's favorite episode, but I really dig it. Okay. Uh, jumping over to number 32 on the list. Uh, this one is uh, more on the lighter side, uh, but a really cool sort of high concept episode in which uh, Worf is the showcase here. And this would be Parallels. Uh, in which he's kind of going between different parallel dimensions, you know, hence the name. And it's the introduction of the kind of odd but kind of cute Worf and Troy romance. So, yeah, I, I dig mm. me some parallels. Uh, and this is 32 on my list. Yeah, this is one that I have to kind of take a step back. Because if you ask me what episodes of Trek I wanted to sit and rewatch, like this is high, high on the list. But when I'm looking at a greatest episodes list... It feels a little wrong to have parallels in your top 10, for example. Like, it's a little too slight. Like, it's a super, super fun, high-concept episode, but it's not like a earth-shaking classic of the genre. Again, I think Brandon Braga wrote this one, and I know his reputation may have diminished over the years um, just with uh, some of the Voyager and Enterprise output, but th this guy was just a master of these high-concept, like, really thrilling episodes that did interesting things with the characters and brought them to interesting places. For sure. So next in line at number 31, I have By Inferno's Light, the second part of the, basically, um, um, Jem'Hadar prison arc from DS9. And... I put this one below part one because I always felt like the the culmination of this episode with Changeling Bashir was a little clunky. Um, but as an overall story, this one is pretty riveting. A lot of great prison stuff with Garrick and Worf and um, Bashir and what have you. Again, strong two-parter, but I put it at 31. Okay, well, I, I while we're here, I, I guess I'll put Purgatory Shadow at number 30 only because I have to. I disagree with you wholeheartedly oh, about uh, having um, part two below part one. I really think part two was much stronger. You have the wharf fighting off Jem'Hadar after Jem'Hadar. It's also kind of uh, Martok is center stage after we, we last saw him getting blown up by uh, the crew because they realized he was a changeling. You have uh, Garrick dealing with his own claustrophobia. And I, asked, I honestly thought that the uh, the Bashir reveal was kind of cool. So I disagree with you, but I'm uh, I'm okay with placing this one, uh, part two, at number 30. Oh, for me, it's not the um, not the reveal that he's a changeling. It's the finale of him in the like shuttlecraft, like going into the sun kind of stuff. It was really weird how uh, the, the actor played it in that situation, just kind of frozen face where I, I don't necessarily think that the changelings w would do that. I, it's just, um, Stig Elfidil often had like, um, like plays on the character that I definitely necessarily, or definitely, or, Siddig Elfidil 
sometimes had uh, kind of takes on the character that I, I didn't necessarily get at times. But um, look, he wasn't playing Bashir. He was playing a changeling in this situation, so I get it. Yeah, totally. Um, so for number 29, oh, I think I may get in trouble for this one. I have Living Witness here. Yes. <laughs> okay, you okay. Get in trouble. Um, oh, I w- okay. So like, this, is a, like, another... this might be veto potential, but we'll see when we get to the end. Uh, why... Why is this more of a, a, a middling great middling episode? On the all-time list of great yeah. Star Trek episodes. Well, I, I, I'm sorry I, it's at number 29. Yeah, it's a middling great, a middling classic to you, Cam, uh, Living Witness. <laughs> One of the all-time greats that I put at number 29. Yes, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Um, again, it's a great Doctor story about how, you know who writes the books of history. Um, one of the, I think, like one of the best Voyager episodes, but just for me, like when I looked at the ones I ranked ahead, I kind of just stacked them higher. That that was really it. Like, I think this is a fantastic episode, but I felt stronger about the ones I put over it. I'll just be straight up with you. This might be my favorite Voyager episode of all time. Oh, so I didn't have it ranked at 29. I just think that the, the what if sort of scenario it's just such cool, high-concept stuff. Robert Picardo, this is still in the era when the Doctor was my favorite character. I think he kills it in this one. I, I just, I, I love it when Voyager kind of really he- reaches its, you know, like peaks and zeniths, and it really was on all cylinders at this point here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for me, at uh, number 28, this is where we're kind of like, uh, you, you, you got to kill your darlings here, don't you? But... Um, uh, maybe you'll be mad at me. I don't care. Uh, I'm going with Doomsday Machine at uh, number 28. This is only the second TOS episode uh, that we are including, but honestly, um, the Deckard stuff, <laughs> it is entertaining. It is like a really tense episode, kind of that submarine-esque sort of feel that you get within that uh, sci-fi genre at times. Um, I, I, I dig everything about it. I, I just You have to choose one at a certain point. Yeah, I don't fault you for this one, and it was an episode I had a little higher, but again, like Parallels, it was that conversation of like, just because I love re-watching this episode doesn't make it one of the all-time great examples of Star Trek, so I can totally understand why when you're looking at the all-timers of TOS, it's not going to be up there with some of the greats that we'll save for later, so this this actually makes sense to me, I think. Um, okay. okay. So for next for me... I have um, Twilight, the Enterprise episode. Sadly, the only Enterprise episode that made the um, the uh, the list that we could actually include for the all-time greats. Uh, again, if we'd been allowed to include 8.6s, 8.7s, we would have had a couple more. But um, this is a fantastic look at the T'Pol and Archer relationship. You've got some high-concept stuff. It has a caper element. Um, I really love this episode. It's a, so much fun. Well, I, I, I'm generally curious because I thought you may have ranked this one a little higher. This, this is your favorite episode of Enterprise, correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, I would say so at this point at, in time, yes. If I revisit the show, okay. there may be another one because there's a few, you know, that kind of like for you, um, um, the Mirror Universe two-parter like jumps out really high, I know for you as well. And I can kind of shift with some of my favorites, but Twilight's the one that is sort of my sentimental favorite. All right. Yeah, uh, like, I, I think this one is very effective at kind of making us realize we're invested in characters like Archer and T'Pol, who, if you asked me that question back in season one, I don't think this would have worked in a season one sort of uh, out 
a showcase, you know, it just would not have been where it needed to be with regards to our character journeys here. So yeah, uh, great episode. Uh, definitely one of my top five from Enterprise. Definitely. Um, no, number 26 here, I, I'm going to Sacrifice of Angels is kind of the conclusion of the uh, Dominion War arc story from uh, the uh, fifth or sorry, the sixth season of Deep Space Nine. Um, I don't know if the stakes were as high as, you know, um, uh, uh, Zial dying versus, you know, retaking the space station. When you call it Sacrifice of Angels, uh, how many angels were sacrificed in this one? (laughs) One? One. So Sacrifice of Angel. Um, yeah. and it wasn't David Boreanaz, so, uh, that, that was, uh, pretty tough, you know, but, uh, look, this is a very, uh, just, just watching, uh, Cisco just go for it, like try to, uh, squeeze through the, uh, fleet while getting flanked by the Dominion forces. Um, it irks me a little bit in that it's kind of resolved in that the, uh, prophets just say, oh, okay, uh, we'll stop further enemy ships from coming in even though the minefield will be dismantled um that minefield destruction sequence is still pretty awesome still holds up for me yeah and just the i mean the death of Xiao is such an amazing moment where it leads to just a broken ducat like to me the sign of a great great episode is if it just really sticks with me and i'll just never forget that moment of ducat defeated handing cisco the baseball just an all-time classic DS9 moment. And yeah, this is a fantastic episode. I hit it a little bit higher, but eh, same kind of ballpark for sure. Well, you might say that Ducat sacrificed a baseball that uh, once belonged to uh, the Los Angeles An- uh, Angels. Ooh, right. And was that the team in, what was that movie with uh, Angels in the Outfield? It was, yes. Yes. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, shout out. Oh, Christopher Lloyd, Star Trek Three, uh, you know, uh, guest star. Yes, that's exactly why I made that reference to a baseball. Bringing it all back, people. Um, Next in line at number 25, again, super, super fun episode, but I have a hard time putting it up with like some of the real heavy hitters, and that's Lower Decks. Um, The episode where we get to spend some time with the Lower Decks, it spawned in many ways the animated show, and we get really fun looks at, you know, Riker, Worf, all of the senior crew through the eyes of all of these younger characters. So much fun. Just a, such a blast of an episode. And again, when it comes to a rankings, if we were doing the rankings of like most rewatchable episodes, this one would probably rank a little higher for me. But in all time greatest, I think it has to be kind of around this spot. I think you're just a fan of Ben the Waiter. That's the one thing that I thought about putting it higher was just the iconic first appearance of Ben the Waiter. Yeah. <laughs> was it the last appearance as well? <laughs> well, my fan fiction is uh, a work in progress oh, and it's okay. it's going to be an epic. It'll be multiple parts. <laughs> the, the the thing that I will critique though is like you watch it the first time you're like, "Oh, wow, this is a very emotional episode." Then you watch it the second time you're like, "Wow, Picard really guilt-tripped uh, Cedo Jaxa into going onto a suicide mission, didn't he?" This this very young vulnerable woman. Now I, I like this episode, though, for that reason, in that a lot of shows would not let their, you know, you'd have a lot of actors really raising a stink about, I don't want you portraying my character like that. I like that we get an alternate look at some of these icons of the series who are always seen as noble and kind of can do no wrong. And we see them in very flawed ways just through the eyes of the, these uh, other characters. 
I think that Patrick Stewart liked jumping on any chance he had for some ambiguity within the character. So I, I can understand why he, he wouldn't push back against such a decision. But I also wonder how self-aware people were of him, like Picard really taking advantage of Jax's insecurities about her place in Starfleet. Mm, yeah, no kidding. It is problematic Picard moment. We'll have to have a separate yeah. list for that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Look forward to that in Christmas uh, 2021. Yeah. Okay, uh, you are next at, for number 24. Yeah, well, I have to go with... I. You know, I, I, it doesn't have to be... Oh, man, this is tough. Okay, I'll go with like another uh, TNG episode. This is Cause and Effect. Yet another high-concept episode from the brain of Brandon Braga which we see, you know, kind of that time loop introduced. And uh, Kelsey Grammer uh, appears at the very end, which is, hey, I need me some Kelsey Grammer. Um, it, it just, it, it's not heavy within the mythology of TNG, even though it's like one of their top kind of high concept episodes. But uh, this is a great one. And I, I think it really does hold up today in what they're doing with that kind of Grand Hogs Day sort of conceit there. Yeah, it is a fantastic episode. Is it... In some ways, it's the best sort of Star Trek gimmick episode. Actually, you know what? There's one coming up that might be the best. But this one really does jump out to me as one that probably had a lot of echoes that continue through the franchise. Like It feels very influential when you're getting some of those ones like Parallels and then Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. It definitely feels like one that a lot of writers watched and said, ooh, we could do something similar to that or something that kind of riffs on that sort of high concept idea. Uh, Bill Murray said that exact same thing, Cam, and that's why uh, we ended up with a movie a few years later. What year was... Or actually, no, I think it was, I think it was that year. Because 92... Both... Yeah, 92 is Groundhog Day. Yeah, I think they may have uh, both been in the same year. I think uh, Cause and Effect may have come out uh, a little bit before. Okay. Actually, maybe, maybe six months before. Right. Okay, well, uh, for number 23... Ooh, this is where it gets tough. And, um... I think I'm going to put here, oof. I think I'm going to put Measure of a Man from TNG. Um, the first great data showcase. I think this, I feel like we, they improved on some of these types of stories throughout TNG. Like I think personally, I, I don't know. I think the drum head may, might jump out a little more to me than Measure I of a Man. I prefer the drum head yeah. uh, myself. It just feels like they refined it. Yeah, I think this one maybe gets a 9.2 on IMDb because um, it was a lot of um, jetsam and flotsam in those early goings of The Next Generation. And when you have uh, something that uh, looks like a Titanic in comparison on the ocean that is Star Trek, I think that's why you go for uh, such a high rating for Measure of a Man at that time. Yeah, it's one that whenever I revisit it, I'm again blown away by it considering it does fall <laughs> in those uh in season two of tng which is otherwise something of a garbage fire it's just kind of this miracle episode but as i said i, I just think they kind of refine this kind of storytelling into future episodes that i think are also in some ways better and more sophisticated next up for me number 22 i'm going to the original series here and uh i, I gotta go with balance of terror um, look, the Vulcan versus Romulan mythology is established. It's a really strong showcase for Mark Leonard. Uh, they, they kind of, uh, they really are tackling racism uh, right there. It's very on the nose, but uh, very, very exceptional outing for the original series. But I just look at uh, what's ahead. 
Cam, our, our lists are going to be even more difficult to kind of parse out here. Yeah, this is brutal territory now. Um, Balance of Terror, I had higher, but it wasn't my highest ranked TOS episode. So again, I'm at peace with this one. I will forever remember the image though of um, Kirk walking into the hallway at the end of this episode, just looking beaten down from this encounter. Like you don't get those kind of moments in a lot of shows where you get to see the effect it had on your character at the end of the episode. It's the same look that you have when you've done about uh, four and a half hours straight of podcast recording and editing, right? (laughs) Oh, the story of my life. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, next in line. And again, we are killing our darlings here. Uh, Another Voyager episode. I have Timeless here. Um, Okay, okay. You you really just want to irk me with all your Voyager (laughs) picks. uh, uh, yeah, uh, but but look, I, I, there's a couple episodes, I, I only a, a small number of episodes that I would have had above uh, Timeless. But this, to me, if it's not Living Witness, Timeless might be my favorite Voyager episode. But uh, explain yourself, sir. Yeah, great alternate future episode with Harry Kim and Chakotay. It has some iconic imagery. We get, um, as I recall, Garrett Wong channeling Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. I believe that was what he said he was going for with the intensity of that character, but but he, he ended up with Joe Pesci. <laughs> I was going to start quoting that character, but then I'm like, no, I'm not going to start dropping f bombs uh, left, right, and center. No, but no. they blank you with the cell phones. Um, yeah, like uh, this episode, it's it underlines one of the sins of Voyager, which is that Chakotay and Harry Kim got very few dynamic episodes. And you cannot argue after this episode, it can't be done. It just shows more laziness on the part of the writers to not try to do this with those characters again. Because, again, like it takes for their like anniversary episode, they take two characters who aren't known to really highlight like the all timer episodes and does really fascinating things with them. It's exciting. It has iconic imagery. I think of Voyager crashing on like that ice planet. Ah, so good. It's interesting because I think that uh, Robert Beltran and uh, the Voyager writing staff were caught in a bit of a catch-22 with each other in that uh, Robert Beltran was saying, yeah, they're not giving me enough good material, so maybe that's why I'm not giving it my all when I'm performing. And the writing staff was like, well, he's not really giving it his all while he's performing, so it's not really inspiring us to give him better material. And I think it just kept going back and forth. And I, But honestly, look, I... I agree, he didn't always get the best material, but if I'm an actor, wouldn't you want to be giving it your all, even if you're just saying aye-aye, Captain? You know, like, it's just kind of, don't you want your fellow actors to kind of be energized by what you're putting out there, too? I would think so, and it, it doesn't do your show any good if you're, like, not writing great stuff for your characters. Like, I don't really understand that. Like, well, he's not really bringing it, so why bother? Well, then yet, then in your eyes, you're basically saying I have dead weight on my show. And I'm not saying Chakotay is dead weight or Robert Beltran because he displayed he was not through several good episodes. It's just like you're creating that situation. Like, why? What do you gain from that? Not a good choice uh, by parties involved here. Uh, Cam, we are now in our top 20. Um, I think this is a perfect episode uh, for top 20 here. This is I, Borg, uh, which is a great showcase for Jordy, Data, as well as Hugh, who had uh, come up more than a few times in the future of Star Trek. Um, I really do wonder about Picard's decision not to infect Hugh with some sort of uh, Borg disease. You know, it, it's like, but I feel like I, it's not like I want him to kill off billions and billions of other, like, uh, entities but the the borg is a collective consciousness that is intent 
on destroying humanity, or at least sucking humanity into its wake. And so it's like he, he cost millions of lives by by not going for it. But I, I like the fact that we can debate this from a Star Trek episode. Yeah, and I think the um the conversation here gets even more interesting just given the Borg stories to come. Because, you know, when you're watching this episode during the airing, you don't know what the future of the Borg could be. But you see that, like, through Voyager and, of course, the first Contact movie, the Borg continue to be a really threatening presence. And so it makes you then reframe the way you look at Picard's decision. And it's an episode that you consistently can go back to and just really kind of mull over that, you know, that decision Picard has to make. It makes it one of the great Star Trek episodes for me. And it's one that maybe the name I Borg doesn't jump to people like to the forefront of their minds when you just say, Hey, what's the greatest Star Trek episode of all time? But it's one that when I was looking at my listings, I had a very hard time placing any lower than this. I think I maybe, Oh yeah. I think I had it one spot higher, but we were both about the same, you know, same thinking pattern there. But so like the fact we both had it as a top 20 episode speaks volumes for it. Okay, so I'm just about to do number 18, but we took a little break there because we realized that we actually had one less episode than 43. We actually have 42. So we're going to jump back at number 18. We were previously at number 20 for iBorg, so we're skipping over 19. Anyone who's confused, we're going to have a list up on the blog. We will have a link with the show notes for you to see the final list, but... Just so you know, we're going to be counting down at this point from number 18. Yeah, and and just to clarify, it's not as if we're skipping over 19. It's just that iBorg was in fact number 19, and we thought it was number 20, and that kind of goes for all of our numbers. We were just off by one uh, the entire time we were doing this. For any longtime listener, you are used to us uh, making math mistakes, so this is just part of the journey. I'm an English major, folks. Sorry. Okay. I never graduated elementary school. (laughs) Uh, Next in line for me, our number 18, I have Dark Frontier, which um, it was kind of a battle between two extended episodes here, but I have Dark Frontier because I feel like it's just, again, just the slightest shade below the one I was going to put just uh, one spot above this. And again, a great... Um, Borg story with Seven of Nine and the um, Borg Queen and sort of this push and pull between Janeway and the Borg Queen for the soul of Seven of Nine. Great episode. Plus, as famously we mentioned on this show, it has the holographic dude in his underwear, the male model. Um, That's what puts this one in the top 20 for me. Sure. I think this one is just kind of underrated by fans. Although, look, if it's on IMDb, and let me pull up uh, the IMDb score right here, it's an 8.8. So, Maybe it's not underrated by fans. Maybe it's just more one of those under the radar episodes. But it's also it might be the darkest episode or amongst the darkest darkest episodes of Voyager. But uh, this one, I, I just recommend everybody go back and watch it. There's so many just kind of amazing sequences that are just like they they kind of get stuck in your brain. Um, you know, like the assimilation sequence. Like it's just it's messed up stuff. But man, it is effective. Oh, yeah. Like, really fantastic visual storytelling in this episode. And that's not something I typically say a lot on Berman-era Star Trek. Well, for me, number 17, I have uh, The Trouble with Tribbles. Again, a real fun episode. This is one that I'd kind of uh, happily introduce people to Star Trek with, you know, the original series. 
Uh, so delightful. I just, I, I'm, I'm looking at what's ahead of it and, um, a, a lot of more heavier kind of character based episodes ahead, but, um, I, you, you love this one for sure. Oh, I love it. The one reason I actually agree with you, it belongs around here. That fight scene goes on a little long. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, you know, that the family guy gag where it's just Peter, like, fighting the chicken for about like 14 minutes at a time sometimes uh tos fight sequences could feel like that as well yeah because there's the one with finnegan and shore leave that goes like quite long and it makes me just think also of the movie they live with roddy piper and keith david fighting for like it feels like forever so yeah uh that's the one thing that pulls this one down but super fun episode um next in line i think i'm going to check off the other extended episode i had and uh, this one, again, is an emotional favorite, but if I'm to critically look at it, it's got some flaws. That's what you leave behind, the finale to DS9. Uh, so many highs, but when we get into Dukat, Kaiwin, and the book, it keeps it out of that top 10 <laughs> sphere for me. <laughs> you mean like they have magic powers? Yeah, like, and, and Cisco Sorcery? Being, and Cisco at the party be like, oh, hold up, got to do something right now. It's <laughs> just like kind of running off. It's well, like, they've been uh, walking through the caves for what seemed like two weeks, and then Cisco makes it over there in about two hours. Yeah, again, just that that little element is frustrating. There's two knocks I have against this one: that stuff, and when we get the uh, flashback sequences, not having any Jadzia footage for Worf's flashbacks. That's that's brutal at a character level. So those are the two things I point to. But in other ways, this finale is like perfection for how it leaves its characters and. It's just an episode that like will leave you in tears by the end. So, um, and not because of Ducat and Kai Win with the book. <laughs> well, look, th this is a legit farewell to the ensemble. Whereas you look at an episode like All Good Things, um, I think that's really more of a Picard story. And I don't know if everybody gets their due in the finale of TNG, but um, I just think that maybe far beyond this, or I should say, uh, what you leave behind just has a few more flaws in it. Yeah, right, right. I agree. Right. Well, I guess I just outed myself because next up is, on 15 is uh, Far Beyond the Stars here. Again, another exceptional ensemble piece, but this is a Cisco episode through and through. You really do feel the journey of Benny Russell and how it sticks with Cisco, um, you know, moving forward throughout the series. This is a mythology episode. This is the very definition of the mythology episode, and it all takes place on the Paramount backlog where they're pretending it's like the 1950s camp. The fact that they made this one like 20 plus years ago and you can watch it right now in contemporary times and it kind of feels as if we perhaps have not learned all the lessons necessary. Um, it, it's a bit of condemnation of modern society, but it is also kind of recognition of how effective Star Trek is in just universal storytelling. Oh, 100%. Again, like this is a fantastic hour of television. We got to see it um, screened in Las Vegas at the convention there and then have a Q&A after that's just a sign of how iconic and legendary it is. The thing that for me kept it out of the top 10 is, as you said, it's a fantastic like Benny Russell story and it has a lot of themes to talk about, but it's not quite falling within that universe of the Star Trek series that would kind of get at that spot in the top 10. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. So at number 14, ugh, this is, oh boy, we got crunch time. I think I'm going to put it number 14, Mirror Mirror from the original series. Right. Um, which, you know, again, the introduction to the mirror universe does it fantastically well, does not have a 12 minute fight scene, like a trouble with troubles. Um, 
<laughs> Again, just such a such a simple way of creating an entire universe here where it's basically a bottle episode reusing the Enterprise and just putting a goatee on Spock, changing the uniforms a little bit. And it just creates this whole world we're going to see explored for better or worse in episodes of DS9, Discovery, um, Enterprise. So I'm in you know, total favor of the Mirror Universe. And I think this is uh, the best one of them all. Um, after Mirror Mirror, what do you think is the strongest Mirror Universe episode throughout Star Trek canon? Oh, that's easy. The Enterprise two-parter. Okay, okay. Well, I, I agree with you there. This is one of the ones that I just... If you really have to get me to choose one episode to watch on repeat when it comes to the original series, this might be the one, that along with Tribbles. Um, this one still is just like a hoot, but um, there's also something to say just with regards to, with regards to totalitarianism and our ability to kind of push back against that and for people to kind of like break through what society might tell you is right and, and make your own you know kind of uh independent decision on that yeah oh totally it's a fantastic episode that could have easily been like a joke like here we go spock's got a goatee isn't that funny but it actually has something to say and just what a masterpiece of storytelling it kind of has turned into a joke over the decades though because if somebody ever wants to indicate that somebody's evil on television um you see kind of like their twin you know wearing a goatee or something whether it's like knight rider or community yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's it's so iconic that it, its effect is, you know, those ripples have continued on into pop culture, which is a sign of why it belongs in the top 15. Yeah. Uh, Cam, I'm just saying, if you see me walking around with a goatee uh, when we hang out next time, um, you should be wary. Yeah, because he'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, number, <laughs> number 13 here on my list. Uh, this is yesterday's Enterprise. Uh, like you're thrown into kind of a parallel universe um, that kind of takes points away from it. But they did uh, Tasha Yar wrong with her previous send off. This is how you make her death meaningful, and it has implications for down the road. Even though I don't think you and I are the biggest Sela fans, I think I don't know. They, they didn't quite know what to do with that character, even though it was an intriguing idea. But you know, just Picard jumping behind the tactical console. And just exclaiming that uh, people aren't going to forget the name Enterprise. That is one of those uh, Data and Star Trek generations doing a fist bump kind of GIF moment right there. Yeah, uh, this is a fantastic one. I had ranked uh, a little higher. And my God, what a great episode. That again, could have easily gone wrong. It could have been really like awkward. And the story behind that one was like, it was kind of a nightmare to write. Where it was like four people having to hammer this one out over like a Thanksgiving weekend. And you know desperation equaled inspiration and you got this fantastic episode so uh yeah great episode uh number 12 so that does that mean the people you're dating are inspired <laughs> where's mirror universe tyler i need him <laughs> he'll be like cam what do you think the rest of the list should be <laughs> i don't want to veto any of it <laughs> Okay, uh, number 12. Okay, um, I am going to go, I think, yeah, um, I'm going to go with Blink of an Eye here, the Voyager episode, um, that we get to see a basically simulation um, take place at rapid speed, and the Voyager crew watches it. This is my favorite episode of Voyager, and... Daniel Day Kim was supposed to be at the Star Trek convention this year, and that has now been canceled as of today. But 
I'm hoping or he'll be there. His appearance in 20- has the the convention hasn't. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, his appearance has been canceled, and that at least gives me hope. Maybe he'll be there next year when I go because I would love to hear him talk about this episode. Really, really powerful and profound episode. Yeah, look, even the doctor stuff in this, where you get the sense that he lived an entire lifetime down on that planet, and it happened just in the blink of an eye. There's a certain amount of gravitas to that, and just watching kind of society change just through like matte paintings is just kind of a very effective cinematic technique that they employ. And it's that kind of, maybe that visual storytelling that Voyager, maybe just Star Trek in general, hasn't always done very well, but just even the depiction of how that planet is kind of um, encapsulated within that time time warp anomaly is just very awesome and very unique within Star Trek too. Is the new M. Night Shyamalan film Old a response to this episode? <laughs> You should have asked Daniel Day Kim that question had he gone to the convention. <laughs> well, 2022, Daniel. There's your there's okay. your hint. Start doing your research. <laughs> okay. Uh, number 11. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. I... Uh, fine. Uh, Chain of Command Part 2. This is... Uh, I think a lot of people think of Chain of Command as like, it's just nothing but, uh, you know, uh, Picard being tortured for both parts. It really isn't. Like, Picard's not really interrogated by Gul Madred until the second part, and that is just kind of devastating to watch. We also have one, uh, Captain Jellicoe, just at his peak, doing the negotiations with the Cardassians. Um, this is a battle of the wills, and by the end of it, it's very clear that despite everything Gul Madred tried to pull on Picard, Picard was the moral victor. Um, this is. Do you think this is kind of the showcase episode for Patrick Stewart's acting chops uh, throughout Star Trek camp? There's one other that we haven't gotten to yet, but it's 100% up there. And it is also, it's the episode where you get to see the most tortured and broken down Picard. So it really hits those dramatic lows for the character that I don't know if we've seen replicated since. Um, Maybe when Patrick Stewart was watching Picard season one, he felt these kind of this kind of oh, torment, oh. <laughs> or at least I, I did. It. At least I did in parts. But um, yeah, like uh, it is just a great episode. And you know, you and I like ticked off pretty early, like Year of Hell Part One. Some of these ones where you only had the first part. You know, the die is cast as well. This episode, though, I think really does stand on its own two feet as the second part of a two-parter. Like I can easily rank this one here and feel good about it because it feels like a very complete story with the Gulma Dread Picard story. I, I I would not put, say, Chana Kvan Part 1 on like a list of top 100 Star Trek episodes. It's more of kind of the setup. And I don't know, I don't think Part 1 actually stands on its own, but I think Part 2 totally does. And look, just proof is in the pudding. Uh, IMDb users give this an 8.9. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Okay. Um, I think, oh, now we're in the top 10, so I don't have to feel terrible. It's more just about the ordering <laughs> that will sting. But uh, all these episodes are top 10, which means they're all masterpieces. I think at number 10, I'm going to put The Way of the Warrior. Um, the season four premiere, which kicks off the Klingon arc for DS9, introduces Worf onto the show. What a spectacular two-hour episode. Like, this feels so cinematic. Fantastic reintroduction to a favorite character where we instantly bridge the worlds going from TNG Worf into this show. Like, we understand who Worf is on DS9 almost instantly. And it's done so just flawlessly. Huge, explosive stuff. Great character work. So, Way of the Warrior is an all-timer. 
Yeah, this is just a go-to for me if I if I just need like a Deep Space Nine fix for 90 minutes. It's so easy to pop my DVD in and watch this. And it really starts to give Worf the types of layers that he just did not possess in TNG. And it was never clear to me that uh, Worf was more of a one-dimensional, sometimes two-dimensional character on uh, The Next Generation. He is being fleshed out here. It is very obvious when you watch it now. And I, I just think this is just action-packed but with the character chops to kind of back it all up too yeah totally it's so triumphant we i would uh dream of a discovery episode like this happening at some point because that is an action-based show so i would love to see you know something like this which was very action-based you know brought quality wise into discovery fingers crossed for season four do you think into the forest i go is maybe the closest they've done to a way of the warrior yeah um maybe if we combine the season two um finale you know how it was two parts like maybe something there but yeah i think that's actually a pretty good call into the forest I go, we go okay um number nine here on my list uh look don't judge me people it is nine out of the greatest uh this is trials and tribulations from deep space nine oh once again uh, you could tell that this was made with so much passion by the crew behind it, the attention to detail, but also this might be the funnest episode of Deep Space Nine ever uh, made uh, up there with, say, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. I, I just marvel at what they were able to accomplish in the late 90s with kind of that Forrest Gump technology, but just kind of the, the nostalgia. I, I always kind of roll my eyes when people try to kind of uh, push the nostalgia button on you know TV and cinema viewers nowadays, but it works here. It seems legit. And um, that fight sequence, uh, much shorter in uh, this version. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That was the smartest thing they did when they tackled this episode was to cut that fight scene down. Just so much great comedy, and it could have easily been a gimmick. Like, hey, look, the DS9 characters are in an original series episode. But we get so much great character stuff. It's very funny. They add to mytho to the mythology. Um, and also, they don't just repeat the story of Trouble with Tribbles. They take an entirely different angle on it, which is far more challenging, but also far more rewarding. So, again, this was an episode you and I got to scre see screened in Las Vegas and then have a panel afterwards, and again. It deserves its placement as an all-timer. Um, another episode that deserves its placement, I'm going to put it at number eight. I have Tapestry here, um, which is... Yeah, that would have been next uh, for me, so I think uh, we agree on that one. Yeah, yeah, an all-time great Picard story where it's sort of the It's a Wonderful Life or the Christmas Carol type of story where we see how his life could have been. Had he taken a different path, he would have worn a science uniform and looked kind of pathetic a lot, but... Uh, just such a powerful showcase for the character, but also maybe the best two-hander of him and Q. Like, Q is fantastic in a lot of episodes, but this might be the best back and forth of these two characters throughout the run of TNG. I I, I think I told this story recently on the podcast, but uh, I recall last year during my uh, summer birthday in the pandemic, you, you, I'm not hitting up like fine dining on my birthday uh, amidst all of that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we got some takeout at the end of the night. Uh, I said to my girlfriend, uh, let's let's just watch Tapestry. This is just like such a great showcase of the next generation and Picard as a character, as somebody who realizes he's learned so much from the mistakes that he makes. And I think your point about this being like the two-hander between him and Q, I think this is them at their peak. You might make an argument for all good things, but... I, I won't blame anyone for picking this one. Yeah. Is this going to be your new tradition to watch this on your birthday every year? 
Kind of like I try I try to watch the Bond movie Thunderball every year on my birthday. Uh, I can guarantee you this is not a new tradition. Uh, we already have dinner reservations at a very nice restaurant uh, coming up uh, in a few weeks. And uh, if we watch a Star Trek episode, it's going to be Stardust City Rag from Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a different type of reminder of your own mortality. <laughs> yes. Okay, what do you okay. have next? Yeah, number seven. Um, yeah, I, I feel fine about this. Uh, best of Both Worlds, uh, part one. Uh, this is Riker's best episode ever. People often forget th- this is a Riker episode, but this is a guy just really wrestling with what the future of his career means. He gets a good reminder when his captain is kidnapped and he's dealing with an incredibly competent uh, commander in Shelby. You know, somebody pushing back gets maybe reminding him of what he doesn't like in himself at times, or maybe he didn't like in a younger version of himself, who was really career-driven. It's a travesty that Shelby was never brought back. I, I will never understand that reason why. But uh, th- this, there's a reason why you know Paramount isn't you know ended up investing in like a Borg film, you know, just a few years later. And this one is is this the most iconic kind of Star Trek episode? in you know mainstream audiences consciousness at this point with just locutus staring down the view screen with the laser you know uh hitting our eyeballs uh star trek or star trek tng star trek oh all time okay i would say it's 100 percent up there i think kirk wrestling the gorn is up there as well those are i think maybe the two that jump to mind um but yeah, the the um, Picard Borg stuff is like I, I think it's kind of a wrestling match between probably those two. I think a Goran wrestling match. Yeah, and hopefully it's more impressive than that wrestling match. Well, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> yeah. they they made a Borg movie. They they didn't make a Goran movie. True, that is a good point. Actually, yeah, I'm actually surprised they didn't work the Goran into a movie. Um, they didn't really go to. Well, I guess they went to Khan for the second one, but I guess they didn't really go back to the. To the well of characters and aliens other than Klingon stuff for the TOS movies. Well, in the original script for Star Trek IV, he was the whaler. <laughs> but he's like sitting in a boat with like a um, with like a fishing rod. <laughs> yeah, but he had the uh, yellow jacket on, the yellow uh, rain jacket on. The old Gorn in the sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number six. Um, I am going to put the DS9 episode, The Visitor, here. Uh, another one that's had a tribute to it in Las Vegas. A lot of these episodes have had tributes. So um, I'll be curious when we a have A lot of our... these Deep Space Nine episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's because the whole cast, they can, or at least the, you know, the cast members who were um, crucial to the episode, they can get on a panel together. Um they should start looking at some of the Voyager ones we've talked about, like a blink of the uh, like a blink of an eye panel and what have you. But um, yeah, the visitor Stardust City Rag, Stardust City Rag, um, that could be like Horror Night Saturday. <laughs> but um, yeah, this episode, the visitor is the all timer of the Jake and Cisco relationship. It's probably the best parent episode in all of Star Trek, unless you're really tied to those Samantha Wildman and Naomi episodes. Um, which I but, am. Uh, yeah, which you are. I mean, we still have the top five to go. Uh, the visitor, though, is <laughs> just shattering. And like, again, it could have had a really weird disconnect having Tony Todd and increasingly heavy makeup uh, just kind of going through this story. 
but it all works. It's kind of a magic act, the same way yesterday's Enterprise was. It's a magic act, the same way the Deep Space Nine finale was. Yes, that too. <laughs> all right. Um, look, I, I just recall watching uh, Wave of the Warrior as like a eight or nine year old kid, um, and I couldn't wait to see what came next on Deep Space Nine. Uh, you watch the next episode uh, a week later, and it starts with a rainy house, and Jake, the writer, is saying to some young woman, let me tell you a story. And then I just put my hands in my face, and it's like, oh, what is this going to be? Camp, this episode just gripped me in a way. It's just a young kid, in a way that no other Star Trek episode did before. And I don't think any other Star Trek episode has done since then. Um, you know, just like... I, I, this is just an incredible showcase for Deep Space Nine. I, I might have to use a veto power. We'll see a little bit later on. But um, damn, it's a top ten Star Trek episode for sure. Yeah, yeah. For I one hundred percent agree. Like, it's it's the one. I try to think of the DS Nine episodes. It might be the one that. Well, there's a couple to go, but it's one of the. I'm gonna say it's a top like probably three episodes that really spring to my mind when I think of like all my favorite episodes of the series or my favorite moments. Like there's a number of moments in this one that I think are highly emotional and just continue to work no matter how many times I see the episode. It's when you see Nog in the captain's seat of uh, the Defiant. That's the key moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're in our top five, and I am going back to the original series with City on the edge uh, of course this is a, a 9.2 on uh, the richter scale here of imdb users the highest rated episode from the original series according to imdb um look the the, the journey that kirk goes through um it, it is like the most devastating journey that kirk has ever experienced and uh i i think that even kind of includes what we saw in uh, star trek generations when he had to say goodbye to his horse so um <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> but like the, there's fun moments and like nonsensical moments, you know, like <laughs> Spock claiming he's Chinese. Um, I don't quite get that, but it hasn't okay. aged well. That part, that's yeah. like the one little bit that hasn't aged well. That and the, yeah, the, what is it like the Chinese rice picker or something? Like what is, there's some sort of machinery they refer to? Yeah. He had an accident in like a rice picker and that's why he had like his ears like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, Okay. But um, yeah, Cam, this is phenomenal, though. And we actually got to see the uh, uh, the accredited writer for this uh, one, Harlan Ellison, in Vegas a couple years ago. Um, I, I think he had some issues with this because it's very different from his original draft. But you can actually find uh, his original draft like translated to a comic book from IDW if you're interested. But um, this is top tier TOS all the way. Yeah, his version is a lot darker, like a lot grittier and darker. And this is an episode that has a heavy dramatic punch at the end, but it's an episode that also kind of makes you feel good. Like it has a really great romance between Kirk and um, uh, Edith Keeler, played by Joan Collins. Actually, we saw Joan Collins in Vegas as well. Um, so I, I kind of think they made the right call. I will typically side with like... You know, the writers, like I tend to have a lot of sympathy for writers. I've interviewed writers and you hear about how their work gets corrupted. But in this case, I don't know. I kind of side with Star Trek. Like this feels like a quintessential Star Trek story, whereas his original feels a little bit more in line with something maybe like past tense from DS9, which is, again, a great story. But I don't know that it would jump to the to the top of a ranking list. You know what I mean? I, I, I follow you. Yeah. 
yeah, so I love City on the Edge. I had it a little bit higher, but uh, yeah, so I'll go for number four. Um, I've, I'm going to slot in all good things here. Um, not just one of the you know great Trek episodes, one of the all-time, whatever the genre of television you want to pick, series finales ever, high concept, doing interesting things with Picard, taking us through the history of the franchise. We talked about how um, the DS9 finale was just this great wrap-up to all the characters. This feels like a great wrap-up to not just Picard, but just the themes of TNG. What this show was really about all along, with the entire concept being, you know, Picard is the defender of humanity. It could have been overly verbose. It could have been overly complicated. The fact that it all works so seamlessly and is such a great entertainment. What a triumph. I love this one. Yeah, like we touched on maybe the bit of flaws. They don't really wrap up the ensemble. But again, the writers were you know, kind of against the clock. They were uh, Bren Braga and Ronald D. Moore. They were simultaneously writing the script for Star Trek Generations. And they've said it before, they wish they could have just kind of flipped these two scripts around and this could have been kind of the uh, the Next Generation crew's debut in cinemas. Yeah, that, that could have been cool. Um, I mean, Generations was not the movie that I think most people hoped for. I'm actually curious. My friend's son, who's 11 years old, is actually working his way through Star Trek right now. He made it through the original series. Um, He watched also the movies of the original series and really fell in love with that universe. He's not ready for TNG yet. Apparently, he really struggled emotionally to um, deal with a new crew, but he will at some point be going through TNG. And I'm just really curious when he gets to Generations, how he feels you know, revisiting these characters who he loved so much. He doesn't know what's coming. Like, that's one of the surprises he's had is that his parents have kind of hid the fact that, you know, for example, Spock was going to come back in part three. So he doesn't know that Kirk's coming back in Generations. And I'm just really curious what his take is on this. Well, his take is (laughs) Kirk is really into horses. I actually read, uh, I actually heard an interview with Shatner recently on a podcast where he talked about how all people who are like really into horses have like fantasies or dreams about being centaurs and i was like oh my god this is completely proving that when we mentioned antonia being a centaur in generations that that was accurate (laughs) oh that was an amazing uh review that we did uh, all those years back for sure (laughs) okay um cam okay uh okay number two here a three or i'm sorry yes uh number three here uh in the pale moonlight from star trek deep space nine it's a 9.5 this is in fact the highest rated episode among indb users for uh deep space nine i i wonder if it's because it's just so different or because the reputation it has garnered over the years um there's some people that say, well, this isn't real Star Trek. If it's on screen, it's real Star Trek. But the fact that we're still debating kind of Cisco's morals and, or I should say Cisco's ethics, you know, like 20 plus years later. And I just remember the first time I watched this one, I, I was shaken. I, I was legit shaken. I've never seen like something like this in Star Trek where it's not like you just question whether or not the captain crosses the line you know that the captain has crossed the line and he says, I can live with that. And you can do the math in your own head. It's like, how many lives has he saved by giving up whatever values he has? You know, it's it's just a fascinating showcase uh, of Deep Space Nine, especially just Garrick, who is kind of like, kind of the, uh, 
uh, honorary regular character on that series. But it just, Garrick is a dangerous man. And this one really reminds the audience of that fact, too. Yeah, it is a masterpiece of an episode. I couldn't put it at number one because I just felt like there's something inspirational about Star Trek and this episode really isn't. <laughs> so yeah. it, it kind of would feel wrong to have it at number one. But my God, what a masterpiece of an episode. We did a whole episode about it. I'll post a link to that in the show notes just about going through and talking about the moral um, questions of this episode, the performances. Uh, God, just towering work from Avery Brooks and uh, Andy Robinson. So at number two, I've got Call to Arms, the best of the um, cliffhanger episodes of Star Trek. Um, sets up the invasion arc. Oh my God. <laughs> Cisco on the Defiant. Um, you know he's coming back. Ducat finds a baseball on the desk. Kira and Odo like blowing up the control center. All these iconic moments. And just the dramatic build of that moment where the Dominion invades the station. This is just a masterpiece of an episode. So much tension. Such a great character episode. I love it. Yeah, this is where I would have ranked it as well. For me, this is the zenith of Deep Space Nine. It's uh, five years of building up towards this very moment in which the stakes feel very, very real. Uh, you don't know what's going to really come of the station and crew left aboard there after that. Like, are they just going to get the station back in the next episode? You get the sense from what Deep Space Nine had been doing with serialization that that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. And, and I think the writers actually wanted to stretch it out for an even longer period of time. They wanted like a whole season where it was going to be, you know, kind of the Starfleet crew versus the Tarek Noor sort of storylines. I'm, I'm sure uh, one uh, Mark Alimo would have loved uh, being in like every uh, other episode mm. uh, at that point. But um, I just, uh, this one is just such a uh, jump out of your seat. That is how you do a cliffhanger finale for Star Trek. This is the best that they have ever produced. Yeah. Totally fantastic episode, and it's one that, again, I could revisit this episode all the time. It just, it has that replay value as well, even though it is heavy. So by default, uh, I guess you essentially got to pick uh, n number one, the, the greatest of the great here, but I, I think we're on the same page. I would have gone with the same order as well. Uh, also, getting a 9.5 rating. Um, 9.5 is the highest rating any of the Star Trek episodes have gotten amongst IMDb users. So that is In the Pale Moonlight, plus The Inner Light from Star Trek The Next Generation. Cam, you talked about the hope, the optimism, the inspiration that people get from watching Star Trek. This one has it all, but it's just devastating to watch as well. Like, you really do, like, that final, like, sequence in which, you know, uh, Picard's uh, kind of alien character just watches, like, his family at, at different times, knowing that their planet is about to just kind of succumb to climate change, yet another topical subject that really has kind of uh, proven how good Star Trek is, is telling at telling universal stories. Um, that moment where he... he He's playing the flute at the end. You know, he's lived a lifetime. This has lasting implications on him. When we even think about kind of the Leela Darren um, romance, just uh, in the episode Lessons as well, um, I have absolutely no problems if IMDb users think that this and In the Pale Moonlight are tied for the two best Star Trek episodes of all time. Yeah, uh, this was a pretty easy choice for number one in that it's iconic, but it also has that sort of inspirational quality you hope for from star trek and it's a, 
a great, great character journey. When we mentioned, um, when we were talking about Chain of Command Part 2, you said, you know, is this Picard's or, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart's most, like, wrenching performance? This was the one I was thinking of as, like, the competition, like, as an acting showcase. I think the inner light is the one I would hold up and maybe say that it's the one that's at least more accessible to people. I think more people would walk away from this episode just really being wowed by Patrick Stewart. Whereas like some viewers might find chain of command a little too dark. Um, obviously a lot of Star Trek fans love it, but cause they ranked it so highly, but I think this is the one that could draw them back time and time again to re-experience this journey and just, the journey would not work if it wasn't for that performance from Patrick Stewart. It's just a masterclass in acting and his ability to jump through ages and make you feel the ages in a 45 minute episode. Just incredible stuff. So you, you said Chain of Command uh, 2 might be a little too dark for some people, right? Mm, yes. Well, that's why they call this the inner light, not the inner dark camp. That is an excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> Okay, so Kim, why don't I go through the top 10? We are going to post the entire list of all 42 selections. Uh, in uh, Once you guys listen to the episode, you can jump onto our blog. Uh, it, it'll be kind of cool to see them all lined up here. I don't think everybody wants to listen to me list off 42 episodes, but for the top 10, we have The Inner Light, number one. At number two, we have Call to Arms, number three, In the Pale Moonlight. At number four, we have All Good Things. At number five, we have City on the Edge of Forever. At number six, we have The Visitor. At number seven, we have Best of Both Worlds Part One. At number eight, we have Tapestry. At number nine, we have Trials and Tribulations. And at number 10, we have The Way of the Warrior. Not a bad list. Yeah, maybe there's a few omissions that just kind of uh, didn't quite get over that 8.8 guideline that we had for this uh for me cam i just want to highlight that uh amok time was Mm -hmm. an 8.7 journey to babel an 8.6 darmok an 8.7 relics an 8.6 little green men from deep space nine that was an 8.6 distant origin from voyager an 8.6 equinox part one yes 8.5 8.5 there and ticker tenor uh dr spy that was an 8.6 i have to say this enterprise was just chock full of episodes that were just right on the edge it's kind of unfair how i i guess little play that it got in our review because or in our episode just now because we're only going 8.8 above they have so many ones that are rated 8.5 and above you know um the mirror darkly two-parter uh maybe being my personal highlight there um I will point this out, Cam. Not a single entry from Discovery, not a single entry from Star Trek Picard that went 8.5 or higher. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not super surprised. It just seems like sometimes newer Trek takes a while. I mean, Lower Decks, obviously, with no small parts made it on. But um, I, I don't know that Discovery or Picard have had their episode yet. Nepente comes the closest for Picard, but um, they haven't quite had their home run episode that becomes like the calling card, the way that, say, Measure of a Man was for early TNG. I think we're still waiting for that with Discovery. Yeah, you might make the argument. For us, at least, I think we're on the same page, but I I think we both think that the the two strongest episodes so far are probably If Memory Serves from Season 2 and Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad from Season 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one that just jumped out that I was kind of bummed wasn't, um, you know, eligible for us. Uh, Darmok, which we talked about fairly recently on the podcast, but also um, Pegasus. 
Uh, I, I really love the Pegasus episode. Hey, look, uh, if we have Daniel Day Kim uh, of Lost Fame coming to Star Trek convention, let's get Terry O'Quinn of Lost Fame <laughs> coming to the next Star Trek convention as well. We can have kind of a, a mini Lost panel. I, I dig that. That that would be amazing. Does it surprise you that the episode Pathfinder has an 8.5? Yes, I don't understand that. Um, it's an okay episode uh, from yeah. Voyager. But, I would um, even say good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same with the Endgame. <laughs> uh, Endgame is another one that I'm like, really? 8.6, huh? Okay. I'm not quite there with Endgame. Uh, getting an 8.6, uh, yeah. if I have to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Star Trek Lower Decks is back for season two. We will be reviewing the episodes week to week. Although, Cam, look, it, it's the middle of the summer. Our vacation schedules don't quite align. We are going to have to miss, I believe, episode two of season two. But we will have something in the bank that we can share. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun, but we'll get there uh, soon enough. But otherwise, Cam, how pumped are you for the season premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks? I'm really excited because... A lot of what they've been teasing with um, Star Trek Discovery has left me very lukewarm for season four. Picard, I'm excited, but it's like nothing but question marks because of season one. Um, Prodigy hasn't grabbed me full on with its marketing yet, but I have a lot of hope that Lower Decks is going to give me that, you know, really fantastic Star Trek that I'm really like, like the kind of stuff we've been talking about in this episode. I feel like a lot of the energy that I hope for from Star Trek is swirling around that show right now. Well, remember, I, I, one of my critiques of Discovery early on was that the show didn't quite know what it was about, you mm, know, yeah. uh, where it was very obvious to me that Star Trek Lower Decks knows what its raison d'etre is. Like, it, it, it knows what it's about, and I think it showed that throughout the first season, and I think... If you have that much confidence about what you're doing, you've kind of figured out the kinks, I think, by episode four, episode five. I, I can't wait to see what we're going to get from the next 10 episodes. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. I look forward to kicking it off with the premiere. So you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Voxola was my real choice for number one, Smith. You can find me at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. N as in no small parts that really should have been at the bottom of the list. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? If I'm alive, then well, will you be there? I'm holding my hand. I'll keep you by my side with my superhuman might tonight. Transfer complete.